fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car already is. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I am the monster the breathing men would kill. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. I go out of my way for you. I do everything to try and make you happy. I feed you, I clean you, I dress you, and what thanks do I get? I am so, so sorry. Oh, you're fucked. Oh, you're fucked, you. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Dinner is served. Save yourself from hell. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. <laughs> Patrick. Well, John, that, that freaks the bejesus out of me. I'm just saying. <laughs> I was sitting here listening to this and kind of like looking over my shoulder trying to figure out what in the devil is going on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. What in the devil indeed. Patrick, we're halfway through October at this point. Yes. It's it's probably, when it comes to movies, it's probably one of my favorite months of the year for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So there will probably be a little extra degree of mischievous glee in my voice. Yes. Well, you love this time of year. I do. I really do. I'm super excited. I, Halloween is one of my favorites. So I've said that before. Yes. Everybody knows that. The only thing I will say about the horror movies that we have available for us in 1993, and I don't want to sell the podcast short because we're going to talk the head out of, heck out of these things. Not the strongest slate of horror movies. Of 1994, you're saying? Uh, 1993, yeah. I, I really don't think... 1993, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're getting way ahead of us. I'm, I'm way ahead of you. Yeah. I'm way ahead of you, John. Yeah. Well, so you're going to have to fill me in because, honestly, most of all horror movies will be a first-time go-around for me. They will be new for you, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, so far this month, we've had... And, and as I was kind of divvying things up, you know, I you know, try to get most of the horror movies into October, if I can, or horror-adjacent. Mm-hmm. You know, we really haven't had too many others this year that I would have considered horror movies. You know, Jurassic Park is an adventure movie. It's got horror elements to it, but not a horror movie. And just recently we had the Addams Family Values. Not really a horror. I mean, definitely Halloween-themed kind of movie. The Good Son, you could have considered that maybe like a psychological thriller horror-type movie. Otherwise, really what we've got is we've got Nightmare Before Christmas, but I put that in December for us. Okay. And really and truly, the, the movies we had this month, so far this month, we started the month with Fire in the Sky, the alien abduction mm-hmm. one. Then we had, last week, right. we had Hocus Pocus, which is Halloween October themed, but not scary at all. You know, a, a kid's movie. Right, right. This week, we've got Needful Things. And then next week, we are doing Judgment Night. Not really a horror movie, but that was a request. Podrick, that was his request for this year as part of his Patreon co-executive producer status. And then, right. really, the only other one that's really a horror movie is Leprechaun. 
which we've got at the end of this month. So not not the strongest slate of horror movies for this particular year. Yeah. So, but I will we'll enjoy them either well, I don't know if we'll enjoy them, but we'll we'll talk about them either way and we'll be exuberant in our discussions. Yes. So, yes. That's that's all you can hope for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can I think we can just dive right onto this one. We speaking of exuberant in our discussions, this movie and I'll I'll just get ahead of myself just a little bit. This movie was a bit of a strange one because I you had texted the rest of us, I think it was a couple of days ago, and you're like, okay, guys, just set me straight here. Is this a comedy? And I and I jokingly told you it was because at moments it's kind of hard to tell. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it, it works as a comedy. It yeah. doesn't know. It doesn't know how funny it is. Yeah. I guess. And there was a lot of stuff that I was like, laugh out loud. Yeah. Like just some of the ways they delivered the lines and everything. I'm like, this is, this is, this is pretty funny. Yeah. Like I was laughing out loud. Yeah. And then moments where you're not supposed to laugh out loud. Yeah, I guess not. Really no. think, and, and I know I'm getting ahead of us here. I don't really think there's a moment when a, a kid in the movie has got a gun to his own head and he says the line, you better watch out. I'll get the stuff on you. And I just, I kind of, so, I, I kind of laughed at that. It was like, <laughs> wait, who would say that? Yeah. I, so I'm just going to quote one of your favorite movies to quote John. And I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to set you off here, but this no. is how I feel. Yeah. Okay. Dick, I tried to cover for you because I thought you were a bit crazy. <laughs> Turns out you're not crazy. You're just mean. And this is only radio. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I feel about this movie. Okay. I tried to cover for it because yeah, it's a little crazy, but it's just not crazy. It's just mean. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just, I, so I don't want to, I'm really trying to not be the yum yucker, yeah, yeah. but I, I don't yum, know. The yum yucker, which I think was a really good late eighties horror movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I, well, I, I suppose we need to quote unquote get into it, but yeah, this one, this one was a struggle because I really didn't know, I didn't know how to categorize this one. Yeah, well, we'll get into it because oddly enough, as I'm watching this movie, and this was a first time watch for me too, as I'm watching this movie, I'm I'm having the same reaction you are up to a certain point, and then when it gets to a certain point in the movie, I was like, well, thank you, finally, we're getting to what I thought this movie was going to be the, the right. vibe of this movie was going to be. And then, yeah, it, it, but it took a while to get there. And then it was kind of, it was a little bit of a jarring, like a, wait a minute. Did I actually accidentally switch over to another movie? Well, right. And, and honestly, so I, I do have good things to say about it once we get towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And honestly, gremlins was like that. I mean, there was some stuff in gremlins that was kind yeah. of like laugh out loud, but yeah. you felt bad and, but for it and it was dark and, all this kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we shall, we shall, it, it shall unfold. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Yeah. All right. Well, this one came out August 27th, 1993 rated R with a runtime of two hours directed by Fraser, Fraser, maybe Fraser. There's no I in there. Fraser C. Heston, who was the baby in the 10 commandments, baby Moses, 
and is the son of Charlton Heston. Oh, and so, he was the director? And he was the director. Typically directed movies that his father was also in. This is one of, I think, only two movies that he directed that his father was not also in. Interesting. He directed Treasure Island and Alaska. Writers for this one were Stephen King, who wrote the novel, and W.D. Richter, who wrote the screenplay. Stephen King, of course, did Carrie, The Shining, a lot of other things. Richter did Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Producers were Jack Cummings and W.D. Richter. Cummings did Alaska and City Slickers 2. Richter did Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension and Stealth. Composer was Patrick Doyle, who did Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and Thor. Cinematographer was Tony Westman, who did Snow Dogs and Killer Image. Editor was Rob Cobran, who did The Execution of Raymond Graham and Alaska. Production company was Castle Rock Entertainment. Budget was approximately $25 million. Box office was $15.2 million. Cinema score gives it a B- and Flickmetrics gives it a 53%. Max von Sydow, who died in 2020, was Leland Gaunt. He was in The Exorcist and The Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. And Judge Dredd. I mean, because no one wants to forget, yes. no one wants to forget that classic. Uh, Ed nope. Harris played Sheriff Alan Pangborn. He was in The Truman Show and A Beautiful Mind. Bonnie Bedelia played Polly Chalmers. She was in Die Hard and Die Hard 2. Amanda Plummer was Nettie Cobb. She was in Pulp Fiction and The Fisher King. J.T. Walsh, who died in 1998, played Danforth Keaton III. He was in A Few Good Men and Good Morning Vietnam. You know, actually... The quote that you the quote that you mentioned earlier featured J.T. Walsh as the subject of the quote. Ray McKinnon was Deputy Norris Ridgwick. He was in The Blind Side and Mud. Duncan Fraser was Hugh Priest. He was in Alive and The Fly Too. And Valerie Bromfield was Wilma Wadlowski Jerzyk. She was in Mr. Mom and Funny Farm. So as I mentioned before, Fraser C. Heston, this was his first feature film that he directed, and uh, typically he was directing movies that his father was in, but as I mentioned before, he was the baby Moses in The Ten Commandments, and I I have a little trivia thing here. During the filming of this movie, he took the actor Max von Sydow, who played Jesus in The Greatest Story Ever Told, aside to discuss how he would play one of the upcoming scenes. One observer said, that's something you don't see every day. Baby Moses telling Jesus how to play the devil. It's quite. The, That's uh, pretty funny. Quite, quite That's the, funny. Uh, quite the biblical setup there. The setting of Needful Things is a fictional town called Castle Rock, Maine. If anyone is a Stephen King fan, you are familiar with the setting of Castle Rock, Maine, because it is the setting of several of his stories. The distribution company was named Castle Rock after it was released. After it released Stand by Me. In 86, the town of Castle Rock was also the setting for The Dead Zone from 1983, which I actually did a Patreon short for a little while ago, Cujo in 1983, and The Dark Half from 1993 was also the setting for Stand By Me. So it is a regular fixture, and actually a few of the characters too. I believe Sheriff Pangborn also shows up in the Stephen King movie The Dark Half as a character, and I feel like there might have been at least one other character that shows up in another Stephen King adaptation. So, so they're technically, what do you call it, canonical Stephen King, this movie? It's the SKCU, yes. The Stephen SKCU? King, yeah, the Stephen King Cinematic Universe. Stephen King, I gotcha. Yeah, or, or is it the CRU, the 
CRCU Castle Rock cinemated cinemated universe. I don't even know what I'm saying. I like. I, I think a cinemated universe cinemated. would be a fun place is. to be. That's the best word. Yeah, we have all the best words. I am now. I am now incorporating that into the lexicon of my. Cinemated. It's, my part just, of, it's part of the cin- cinemated. The, the Marvel cinemated universe. I think to successfully unpack this standard and. You're gonna have, have to have the you're, correct. You're gonna have to cinemate it. I, I think we need to cinemate our anchor standards. And, yeah. I I challenge you to use that term and use it with 102 percent confidence in every meeting that you're going to be in this year, and see how long it takes somebody to comment and ask what that word means. Do you think I'm going to get the whole way, or do you think someone's going to ask? I think you're going to get further than you might think. I think that there's a lot of people that would. I think people are just going to go with it. I think so. I think, and I have the opportunity to, John. I'm going to be in a lot more meetings this year. I know. I th- I think I'm. I want you to report back on this. Like I'm expecting. I, I'm expecting to hear great things. I'm 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 going in. I'm going to check this out, man. Okay. I'm like one of those. I'm like one of those reporters that like lives with the Hell's Angels to yeah. like write the book about it. And yeah, we're going to embed you in the faculty meetings. We have just gone way too inside baseball for ninety nine percent of our listening audience. That would just sound like a couple of teachers, just like you know what I'm saying. It's we we we're just we're really trying to get down to that one percent. <laughs> Anchor standards. Oh God, we just lost them, John. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh boy, the thirty something oh, educational podcast. How come? How come? How come? Like camera guys, like the. the Greatest gen guys always get to talk about like split diopters. We're talking about anchor standards. We got to punch this up a little bit Nobody, somehow. Nobody's interested in anchor standards. Mm-mm. Yeah. All well, right. well, you're going to have to, you know what we need to do to this conversation? We need to cinemate it. Dude, this is happening. If we can, this is kind of like the Simpsons. Cinemated is to us what the Simpsons, what embiggened was to Homer Simpson. <laughs> I just, I just. I love everything that's happening right now. Everything that's happening now. Yeah, we're going to have to embiggen the cinemated experience is what we're going to have to do. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> I've only worked for a week and a half, man. This is not bode well for I the know. year. I, it's, it, it might be kind of rough. Bonnie Bedelia previously appeared in Salem's Lot, the TV miniseries, which was also based on a Stephen King novel and was also about a mysterious stranger who moves into a small town and opens up an antique shop. Because you got to watch out for those antique shop people. Watch out for those antiquers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the novel, young Brian Rusk does actually commit suicide. In the film, however, he is revealed by the sheriff to have survived. There is a line of dialogue that was a last-minute addition after the studio strongly objected to the horrific implications of a child killing himself. Probably agree on that one. Although, I will say, mm-hmm. as much as I, and I'm sure you feel the same way, not a fan of having children get killed in movies... I do actually think if they wanted this to be as sinister a movie as it probably needed to be, it mm-hmm. probably should have kept that in. Yeah. And, and normally, obviously, if this is real life, I wouldn't be advocating for that, but it's a movie and it's a story. And I felt like this movie at times was not as sinister as it should have been given who the villain was. Yeah, we're so, going to get into it. I think there's some things yeah. that I would like to see this movie punched up. Yeah, you know? yeah, cinemated. We'd like to see it cinemated. I think <laughs> I think we need to cinemate the movie. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cinemate the heck out of this. All right. In a quiet town, <laughs> darkness descends as a small store hides a sinister secret. 
desires turn deadly, and the evil must be exposed before it consumes everyone. Be careful what you wish for in needful things. Castle Rock Entertainment and Stephen King invite you to visit Castle Rock, Maine, a quiet little town whose population has just increased by one. Do you believe in the devil, Father? I guess I have to. We can't have one without the other. What does he look like? What the hell does he look like? May I take this opportunity to welcome you to Castle Rock on the good Lord's behalf? Why not? So where are you from? Ohio. I've been in this business a long time, and I've learned the pleasure of offering my customers what they really need. He came here to destroy us. Oh, you wish it. There have been two murders and an attempted suicide in this quiet little town, and Mr. Leland Garner's at the bottom of it. You are disgusting. I like that in a person. Everybody that's got it coming is going to get it now. The young carpenter from Nazareth. I knew him well, promising young man. But he died badly. A famine here, a flood there, a little bloodlash, a broken heart. You can't win. I've got God on my side. For this one, we've got 10 major moments. This breaks down the plot into the major events as they happened. So if you haven't seen this in a while or if you haven't seen it and you're not going to go watch it, we always recommend that you go watch the movie first and then come on back. But if you are not going to go watch it and you just need a quick overview of the plot of this one, we'll walk you through with these 10 major moments. So starting with one of the first major moments, Gaunt's Arrival. Leland Gaunt, which is a, a great name for a villain like this. It just, the, the name kind of just oozes evil, just kind of oozes some kind of like slimy creepiness. Yeah. Yeah. And anybody that's read Harry Potter, well, giveaways, but know that Gaunt is a name that is prevalent in there as well. Yes. So, yeah. And just a shout out for I cannot think of the what's it? I can't think of the name of that tune. So I'm embarrassed, but it's just amazing. Yeah. It's it's an amazing piece. Yeah. That wasn't no, that's not Night on Bald Mountain, is it? No, it's in the Hall of the King. Hall of the King. Yeah. 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 By Grieg. Yes. Yes. I was on I was on kind of the right track. Ish. Yes, we were. We got there. We got there. I mean, it took a while, but much like um, this movie, it took a while, but we got there. It took a while, but it got there. And and Lee Lagant is just yeah. So great introduction, man. We're, yeah. We said this movie wasn't going to take long, and you're at the first major moment, and I'm interrupting. Ah, you know. But yes. Uh, so he arrives in Castle Rock, Maine, and opens Needful Things, an antique store selling items with special significance and often supernatural abilities. Uh, his demands for payment include money and. Favors. Uh, Brian Rusk is a kid that comes into the store and he becomes Gaunt's first customer buying a rare baseball card, a signed Mickey Mantle card, which somehow is signed 
to him, to my friend Brian. And so in exchange, he, I think he paid, was it like 95 cents? And then the rest of his payment was that he had to play a prank on his neighbor, which then sets off kind of a series of escalating vendettas uh, against each other as, as everybody in the town has got something that they're kind of mad at somebody else for. And this is the, this is the first knocking over of the first domino that is going to set off a bunch of these different people. Keaton, Danforth Keaton, a corrupt boat salesman, is blackmailed and in debt. Gaunt offers him a toy racehorse that predicts horse races, promising Keaton a way to recoup his stolen money. Meanwhile, Gaunt exploits various townspeople's desires, including tensions between two churches in town, uh, Father Meehan and Reverend Willie Rose. Nettie and Wilma are arguing with each other and come to a violent end. The pranks escalate, leading to Hugh Priest killing Nettie Cobb's dog for a jacket. Nettie retaliates, thinking Wilma's responsible, and both women end up dead in a violent encounter fueled by Gaunt's manipulations. Gaunt gives Alan's fiance Polly Chalmers a necklace that cures her arthritis, further ensnaring her under his influence, and after a failed attempt to pry it open, she's seduced by Gaunt and tricked into believing that Alan is corrupt. After realizing his actions led to Wilma and Nettie's deaths, a guilt-ridden Brian attempts suicide. Sheriff Allen saves him and begins to suspect Gaunt's true nature. Paranoia and anger spread throughout the town. Gaunt sells weapons, encouraging violence. Father Meehan believes Reverend Rose attacked the Catholic Church, and a riot ensues with Gaunt watching gleefully from the side. After killing his wife in a paranoid rage, Keaton is manipulated further by Gaunt. With explosives strapped to himself, he becomes a live threat during the town's riot. In a climactic confrontation, Alan manages to convince the townspeople of Gaunt's manipulations. They stop fighting and confess their pranks to each other. Keaton, in a final act of defiance against Gaunt's taunts, hmm, Gaunt's taunts, that's a fun one, blows up the Needful Things store. Emerging unharmed from the explosion, Gaunt hints at future malevolence and departs Castle Rock, leaving devastation in his wake and moving on to the next town. Those are your 10 major moments. And now it's time for some deep thoughts. But these are creepy deep thoughts because it's October. and That's what we do here. And now deep thoughts. Yes. Pat, I, I think we both said this is the first time we'd seen this one. Oh, yeah. Okay. First, first viewing. And I think we've kind of both let the cat out of the bag here that or the dog out of its skin, and said that we were a bit confused by this one and maybe what its what its intentions were. Yeah, well, clearly, because I totally missed it. Yeah. Well, this was, I, we're on the line, along the same lines as, what was it, Flatliners, when you thought Flatliners was a comedy? Well, I, yeah. But, but the, the thing was, I really... I realized partway through that one that, oh, wait a minute. I, I don't think this is supposed to be funny. I'm not laughing. Right. Well, this the problem one, with this I, one is this problem starts off presenting itself as something of a comedy. Well, it does, and even it kind of wraps up like that. Now, yeah. some of the stuff in the middle <clears throat> got pretty over the top with the violence and just dark yeah. people killing each other and all that. And I, I dark comedies, boy, I don't want to judge them as a whole but there there is that element it's like should we really be laughing at this is this really funny you know and that's where when i texted you guys i think i got it i i think this is supposed to be like a dark comedy and then my the whole crux of what i was going to say was just 
it seems pretty mean spirited. Like I, there's some really funny parts, but it doesn't, boy, we just have to tone some of this down. The kid with the gun, the people murdering each other. But I'm just like, why are we getting so that's a little bit, that's a little bit much. But that being said, if it's not supposed to be funny, well, okay, then I guess those things, you know, fit in with a horror type movie. But then it just comes across really mean. And I think it's it's missing some potential because some of the some of the situations, I, I gotta admit, I was laughing pretty good. I was laughing pretty good at. Well, uh, to your point, and and I had, knowing that this was a horror movie or supposed to be a horror movie, I took a lot of it as, wow, this is really tame, and it's got a weird, I, I don't know, like the entire, I keep using the word vibe, but like the entire vibe of the beginning of the movie is, mm-hmm. it's like the, the the music just doesn't fit with the scenes. The music is too lighthearted and, and almost campy at times. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is, this is not the right, this is mischievous, but it's almost like childlike mischievousness. And Leland is supposed to be the devil. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the devil has childlike mischievousness. Yeah. Uh, so we probably <clears throat> need to punch some of this stuff up here. I mean, cause later on in the movie, there is a scene where the sheriff is down in the store and comes across a bunch of old newspaper clippings of different mm-hmm. events that it's implied Leland Gaunt has been involved in. And, and of course he makes different comments. He's like, Oh, the, uh, the carpenter from Nazareth. Yeah. I knew him. I knew that guy. Mm-hmm. Or he's got newspaper clippings of, you know, Hitler invades, Hitler invades Poland or whatever the different newspaper clippings were or plague unleashed or all these different things. And, once we get to that point in the movie, like at that point, I'm like, okay, here's, if that's, if that's who this character is, then we are ramping this up appropriately. But why did it have to take this long to get to this point? Because well, I, I, I didn't get the sense of what I wanted to feel from this movie was mm-hmm. a sense of creeping dread throughout the entire thing. And I didn't feel like it was creeping dread. I felt like it was maybe the kids from the sand lot that were playing pranks on people. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, and I'm going to come at it from the other direction. And I I guess I would have liked something more like gremlins with a little bit of tongue in cheek, you know, kind of humor in there, because I think that could have, I, I think that could have worked a little bit more with the light, Part in this, and I'd almost say back it down, back down some of the language, back down some of the violence, back down. When I think it, it would have, and like I said, I'm coming at it from the other perspective. Mm-hmm. One thing, and I don't know if you're exactly saying this, but one thing that hit me, and w- with what you are saying, it kind of makes me double down on it. I wish they would have explained Leland Gaunt more. I wish they would have. Just kind of, you would have known what his motivations are, the why of he was doing his thing. I mean, I guess if you wanted to keep it mysterious, okay, but like you realize right away, okay, he's selling people, and then I was gonna, yeah, this is probably the devil trying to, you know, get people's souls and all this kind of thing. Like even I figured that out within a couple of minutes of watching the movie. Mm-hmm. So it's not some big secret, you know, that is keeping the audiences strung along, a la devil's advocate. Yeah. Right. So 
then explain his backstory more or explain that character's backstory within the context of this world. I think that would have helped out a awful lot. And then, like you said, now we're not, we're not waiting half the movie just to kind of get to the crux of what he's trying to do. Yeah. Well, and I, I wonder if in regular Stephen King fashion, my understanding is the novel that this comes from was over 900 pages long. Okay. And that that's another thing too about Stephen King. And, and I don't profess to be a, an expert on Stephen King. I have, I have not read any of his novels to completion. I, my son has read several of them, but I have not read any of them. And I've seen quite a few of his movies, but what I know just as a, as a casual viewer of Stephen King movies, what I know is that they're really hit or miss when it comes to adapting Stephen King stories to film or to videotape, because there are some really good ones. I mean, there's Shawshank Redemption, there's um, Misery, there's, I even enjoyed Pet Cemetery. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, I I know that there's several, The Green Mile was another really good one. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think Stephen King does well, which maybe doesn't, maybe it's harder to translate that into film is while he's considered a horror writer, I really Mm -hmm. think that where most of his stories shine are when the, when the horror is more of a kind of what I mentioned before, kind of like a, a sense of creeping psychological dread, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's more the, and I believe he's probably said this, that, Really, the the villain in most of his stories, he really views it more as the horrible things that people do to each other. Okay, you know, if there yeah, are monsters, if there are monsters in his stories, it will be the people. It won't be an actual monster. You know, unlike if it's other than like a, a movie like It, where clearly there is a monster, or Cujo, where there clearly there is a monster. But I think that's in his writing my understanding is is that that's where he really shines is showing the humanity and and when there is something corrupt about humanity like that's where the true horror is the horror is more psychological it's not jump scares and violence and gore and and all that stuff right which is why i think some of these stephen king movies the directors maybe get a handle of these get a hold of these movies and and just go oh, cool, let's have some blood and let's have some scary stuff. And it's very surface level, but they don't really take the time to get into the characters and get into the people that are involved. And what I understand is there is also a like a four-hour cut of this movie that was turned into a, I believe TBS actually aired it on television at one point. And my understanding is you can, you can find it on a German DVD or German Blu-ray the four hour cut of this movie where it really dives more into the different people in this town. And some of the people that you see show up at the end of the movie, you're like, who is this person? Oh, that's Mm -hmm. the kid's mother. Oh, okay. I haven't seen her this entire movie, you know, but she shows up at the end and she's like, my son, my son, who's your son. And so I think the, the, my understanding is the four hour version of this really does dive into that more. I don't know if it dives more into Leland Gaunt and kind of his thing, or if it's more into the townspeople and kind of their interactions with each other. But my guess is that if that's the case, maybe that would have been more of what I was hoping for. 
in this movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. to, to I think my point for this is if Leland Gaunt is meant to be the devil, Castle Rock, Maine seems to be like a big step down from, I don't know, World War II Europe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like if he's on vacation for a bit, then maybe, maybe this is how he relaxes. Right. But otherwise, I'm like, so the the devil is going to open up a antique thrift shop and sell trinkets and get people to throw turkey poop on somebody's laundry. Seems a little overly theatrical. I I wanted a to see overly... I, I wanted to see a Leland Gaunt who who was existentially terrifying on a biblical level. If he's supposed to be right. the devil, I wanted to see that's who he is. He's the devil. So I I wanted to see more along those lines. You know, because you can't spell antique curio thrift shop without Antichrist. So I wanted to see more mm-hmm. along those lines. And yeah. I wanted to see, it, what it made me think of was, I'm watching this and I'm going, okay, Max von Sydow, he's doing a great, he's a great actor. You know, he's, he's doing a yeah. great job with this. You know, there are He times, was one of the strongest parts of this movie. Exactly. He's, he's charming when he needs to be charming. He's creepy when he needs to be creepy. But all in all, I'm watching this and I'm going, oh. The, the, the character, whenever it was, uh, spoiler alert for the movie Fallen, if you haven't seen that one, whenever the mm-hmm. demon takes over somebody's body in Fallen, man, is that creepy. And every actor who has to portray that demon that hops from body to body does an amazing mm-hmm. job of getting across kind of the, the creepiness and the confidence and just the, the, the charm of that character. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't. You probably haven't seen this one, but there was a movie series called The Prophecy, and Christopher Walken played a great, great character in that one. He was supposed to be a version of the angel Gabriel, I believe, who had actually decided yes. to, um, who had decided to turn and had decided he thought he could do a better job of being the devil than the devil himself. So. That movie series, that's what Christopher Walken was playing. And Christopher Walken, same thing. Like, he was creepy. He was charming. He was confident. All the stuff that Mm -hmm. you would expect one of these characters to be. You know, if if we're talking these depictions we've had in movies and stories of the devil thinking that he's won already. And so that's Mm -hmm. that's how he struts about the earth, is assuming he's already won. Then that's more of what I wanted to see. And more deviousness from him rather than... All right, I'll give a kid a baseball card if he throws turkey poop on somebody's laundry. Right. And again, do the baseball card kid. I'm like, I'm fine with that. But then lean into, lead into the lighthearted, lean into the comp. Do you know what I'm saying? Lean into that side of things. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, and again, I'm just going to, I'm standing up for my cluelessness. That's where I was watching it and thinking, oh, okay, this is, this is more comedic. This yeah. is what this is supposed to be because there were scenes that, like I said, were humorous. And I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. You can make this terrifying, but that's just the thing is they didn't lean. They didn't lean into either way. It just kind of, yeah, it, it never, it never got above its base level yeah and and again i haven't seen the longer cut of the movie but in the cut of the movie that we watched there were things that i was like 
that's a that's a completely missed opportunity because I, for example, the scene where Leland, you know, kind of seduces Polly. Mm-hmm. Nobody else knows that that happened except for him and Polly. And mm-hmm. part of me is like, eh, I, I feel like he would have used this in some way. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe have the sheriff see them through a window or I don't know, something like that. Or I don't know, have it, have that be a play that out a little bit longer so that it really does cause this massive rift in the relationship between the sheriff and Polly. But right. it's, it's kind of used because in, when that scene happens, I'm like, oh, man, you know, she's she's completely starting to, like, lose herself now because she would never have done this before. But then it doesn't that didn't really go anywhere. And I'm like, I right. feel like if if Leland Gaunt is supposed to be who he's supposed to be, I feel like he would have used that to, to quote Billy Joel from his live at Long Island concert that he did back in the 80s. He's going to mm-hmm. space this out for maximum effect. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Leland Gaunt mm-hmm. needed to space some of these things out for maximum effect. And in the, in the like, it's not even the middle of the movie, but like the, from like the maybe 60% of the movie to maybe like the 90% point of the movie, that's the part of the movie where I'm like, all right, okay, this is feeling a little bit more like a like an apocalyptic John Carpenter movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm 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 getting into this. This is what I was kind of expecting for the rest of this. And then it does mm-hmm. kind of it does kind of end a little tongue in cheek and as we got to the ending of this one I was like All right. Okay. So he's he's not dead and he's going to continue on with his stuff and and I did enjoy his kind of creepy little monologuing there at the end. He's like, hey, by the way, you guys are going to get married. You're going to have a beautiful little family. Why don't you say hi to your son, uh, your grandson, Bob, for me. I'll, I'll be seeing him August, what do you say, like August 14th, 2053 in Jakarta. We are going to have a great time. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, yeah. that's some of the stuff that I think would have helped the the just campiness of the beginning of this movie is – that's creepy because even if he mm-hmm. says it with kind of like a smile on his face and, and you're like, wait, what, what is he talking about? Just the thought that there's no way he already knows what's going to happen. There's no way that they could possibly change any of this, or at least they think that there's no way. And how are they going to grow up? You know, how is their family going to going to grow up that way with mom and dad thinking that someday their grandchild is going to cause all kinds of mayhem because he's going to team up with the devil and what are the next 70 years going to be like, 60 years going to be like, while they're waiting for that to happen? Right. And that's the dread that just would kind of sit there over the course of the next 50 to 60 years for that family. But you don't, other than that comment at the end, if you had done more of that at the beginning and have a little bit higher stakes or a little bit more dread in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. rather than... You'd like a jacket? I'll give you a jacket. You want a baseball card? Right. I'll give you a baseball card. Just and I know that things did escalate, but it just it seemed like mm-hmm. it took too long for things to escalate. Well, well, sure. And and again, like the concept of the movie is cool. Yeah. I mean that's that's really cool thing. The, your your main character, you know, I keep forgetting the guy's name, but the guy that played Gaunt was yeah, Max von one Cito. of the strengths. Max von Sydow, yeah. one of the huge strengths of the movie. Awesome. Like all that stuff's good, but again, 
just like you said, they don't quite explain things fully. You don't get the backstory in that. And even that end piece, I hear what you're saying where, you know, that ending part is, yeah, just so you know, in 2055, your grandson and goes through the whole thing. That's cool. But it's kind of like, well, going back to your, going back to your point, why is he, why is he at the, at this little town handing out baseball cards? Why is he at, why is he at this town handing out baseball cards? Why is why didn't he just go forward in time to 2055? Or does the devil experience time linearly? Because if he experiences time linearly, I can't say that word correctly. I'm sorry, I'm jumping over it. Then if you cinemate it, it's easier to say. I need to cinemate it. Yeah. Why does he, how does he really know? You know, and if he doesn't experience time linearly, yeah. then okay, we're like the wormhole aliens in, in Deep Space Nine. Well, okay, but then explore that whole piece, right? Like if, if he's all knowing, do you get what I'm saying? It's just, it's, I think you just got to explain it more Yeah, and it'll be more fascinating. Yeah. I think I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked the, the, actually the antique store to also maybe be a little creepier. Yeah. Like I would have liked to have seen if he's, if he's the devil, I would have liked Mm -hmm. to have seen an antique store where it is full of stuff for mm-hmm. the most part, it was kind of an empty house that had these few items here and there. And I know that he could kind of conjure up the items that were going to be exactly what these people were looking for. But I would have liked to have seen an antique store that was full of other things from his travels through history. You know, that he, right. had, he had kind of collected some things along the way. If it was like a relic from the ninth century, or if it was something that he, something he collected from the Crusades, or something that he brought from... Germany during the 1940s or stuff like that. If there were little items Mm -hmm. throughout the store that even if you just, even if they don't mention them, just you as a viewer could see that in the background and go, Oh wow. Is that what I think that is? Mm -hmm. That would have added a little bit of extra layer of dread to the store itself. Yeah. It just, I wasn't, I didn't expect, I knew it was a Stephen King movie. So I wasn't expecting like, terrifying monsters or I wasn't expecting jump scares or I wasn't wasn't expecting things like that, but I did expect a little bit more creeping dread and just a sense of uneasiness about this movie. And Mm -hmm. I was getting more of a, like you said, I was getting more of a, is this supposed to be a horror comedy at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this? And it's, it's not. And I'll give a spoiler for, our Patreon episode that's coming out in three days. Uh, at, the t- at the time this is released, three days from now, this weekend, you if you are a Patreon co-executive producer, you are getting an episode of Something Wicked This Way Comes from 1983. And spoiler alert, that movie from 10 years before this does that so much better than mm-hmm. I think Needful Things does. When I, because yeah. we, we watched these two movies kind of at about the same time, and spoiler alert, we're recording them on the same night, but... One of the things about Something Wicked This Way Comes, it was made 10 years before this. It was a Disney movie. It was rated PG. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a better job of creating that kind of underlying sense of dread. As, as the kids are going through this whole thing with the, with the uh, carnival that comes into town and the scenes with Jonathan Price playing Mr. Dark, it's just, it does such a great job of what this movie 
did not do well for like the first two thirds of the movie. Yeah. And, and I really wish and it was, and it was funny watching these two together. The one that I think of as quote unquote, a children's movie, I think did a better job of providing that sense of uneasiness and fear and dread and just psychological itchiness there mm-hmm. than the Stephen King movie did. Yeah. So. Yeah, man, I hear you. Yeah. The battle between the priest and the reverend was pretty funny. That was kind of funny. I mean, there were there were moments where I was like, okay, right, this is a little campy and a little a little goofy, but I'll allow it. They're not monsters. They're Baptists or whatever the heck he yells in uh-huh. the battle cry. And... Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now I will say that this was because I wanted this movie to be scarier than it was. And I think that's part of my disappointment is in my head over the years, I've built up the thought that this movie should be very scary because as a kid, I remember going to the video store and I remember seeing the movie cover for this one is like mm-hmm. this, this monstrous face kind of like pushing through a, a white cloth or something like that. You remember how, Oh Pat, the year was 2015 and it was one of the first episodes we ever did of this podcast. And mm-hmm. it was nightmare on Elm street. Mm-hmm. Remember the scenes in nightmare on Elm street where Freddie's face is like pushing through the wall. Yeah. Yeah, like the wall looks very elastic and it's kind of he's just like pushing his face through there and it it, it the cover for this movie is very much like that. It it looks like a monster's face or like a demonic face like pushing through a white sheet or a white wall or something like that. So as a kid in my mind, I remember seeing the the cover for this movie and thinking, "Oh, I bet that's a pretty scary one." And mm-hmm. now getting a chance to watch it 30-ish years later, Really not. No, not so much. Not so much. No, not so much. But, uh, you know. Well, I think that's that's going to do it for this one. We do have three questions, which I definitely want to yeah. jump into here. But if anybody else would like to throw in their two cents or 95 cents and a favor, uh, you can totally do that. We would love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out with a voicemail, an email. Let us know. Are we completely wrong on this one? You know, did you, have you watched Needful Things? Are you a Stephen King fan? And you're like, you guys, you are, you're missing some fundamental Stephen King stuff here. By no stretch of the imagination am I saying I'm anything like a Stephen King expert. So I was told by a college professor that I, I could be a Willa Cather scholar if I wanted to be. But, you know, O Pioneers, My Antonia, that kind of stuff. Okay. I, I don't know. We're not sure. I Jury's think, still out. I think I wrote an essay that the professor really liked, and that's why they made that comment. But I'm like, eh, no, I, I, I think I'll be a teacher. And so, but yes, I not an expert at all in Stephen King. So if you are, and if we've completely missed or overlooked something, please let us know, because I would love to, I'd love to, If I, and, and if it's absolutely like, you're like, no, you have to see the four-hour version of this to really get, you know, what's going on here, then absolutely tell me that, and I will go seek out the... Sure. Four hour version of this and, and I'll give it a try at some point. But yeah, well, we, and, we'd love to and, hear from you. And again, the concept, awesome. Max yeah. von Cito, awesome. Yeah. I, I I mean, if you like horror movies, check it out. It's fun. You know? I mean It's it's got a winning yeah. combination of people and situations and whatnot, but it just it just tastes a little funny. That's it. The ingredients you are there. It just it something something tastes funny about it. 
It's like when a cannibal's eating a clown. <laughs> it tastes funny. Nicely done. On that October note, humor. On that note, here's the three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. What were they, cycles? Or? We all go a little mad sometimes. Quit pro quo. I tell you things, you tell me things. So I'll ask you the questions and then we'll see. John, I don't know if I'm scared for the three questions now or I'm just really excited. That was an exciting three questions opening. You should be scared. Oh, okay, well, I got excited. Okay. That was like cool. That's fine. You can be excited. I'm too. sorry. That's, that's I'm, I'm sorry. Is right. that... No, it's, it's... Maybe it's... I'm. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't mean to undercut it. No, you're, 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 maybe getting, I'm like, you're getting into the Octoberness of it all. Maybe, maybe I'm like 80% scared and 20% excited. Yeah. I think... Or maybe the, I'm... I, I, I think what you've done is you've taken those two emotions and you, you've cinemated them. I have cinemated them. Exactly. Yeah. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. The problem is the more all... I say cinemated, the more I want a cinnamon roll. It's starting I... to cause some issues. I see nothing but success here. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And while we were on the topic just prior to starting the three questions, Pat, how do you know when a cannibal has given up? How do you know, John? throws up his hands oh geez mm. oh boy mm. oh boy there it is yeah. there it is can't put my finger on it but i think that might have been a good one <laughs> hands down anyway uh, question number one favorite or most unique thing you've ever bought at an antique store or garage sale are you a garage sailor pat nope no <laughs> are you an antique i used no Okay. I used to be, I like old things, yeah. you know, I like old things, but I'm not, I'm kind of like not thing right now. I'm not into things right now. I want less gotcha. things. You know what I mean? So you're, I don't want to. all about that minimalist go, lifestyle. Yeah. I don't want to go around and get other people's old things, yeah. but I, I suppose if you find like a, a rare book that's, oh man, check that out. We found that book or something like that back in the day. When I was a kid and had very little disposable income and the parents were kind of very limiting in terms of what video game systems you could get. Mm -hmm. And you'd go and you'd go to the, the store or the, the store, the garage sale, and someone was selling their old Commodore 64 games, oh, yeah. you know, and it was like, oh man, check that out. And that stuff would get exciting, but yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a big, super big antiquer. I, I do like to check out a, a garage sale from time to time. We we grew up, my grandmother loved garage sales. She was kind of the garage, awesome. garage sale queen. And so anytime, if, if I was going over to her house to kind of hang out with her and my grandpa for a weekend, for, for like a Saturday morning or something like that, she was always like, let's get in the car, let's go to some garage sales. So we were constantly doing that kind of stuff. So I, I grew up doing that. We grew up actually putting on a garage sale a couple times a year just to kind of mm -hmm. get rid of stuff. Like we had a huge family garage sale where everybody in the family would drop their stuff off at, at somebody's house and we would actually host the garage sure. sale and sell it there. So that was always kind of a big deal in my family. I do enjoy a good antique store or a good flea market or something like that. Sure. You know, we, we hit up a, it actually made us feel a little old because when I, uh -oh. when we think of flea markets, you think of like, yeah, this is like 
old stuff and antique type stuff. And when we were just recently on vacation in Boston, there was a day mm-hmm. when the weather was just absolutely terrible. So we kind of had to scrap some of our plans and, and head indoors. And we realized we were not that far away from a massive flea market that was in Massachusetts. Very cool. And so we decided to go stop over at this flea market and we go inside and the flea market, nearly every stall is geared towards, let's say, 80s and 90s paraphernalia. Well, that's and, a and win-win like, win right there. I, I mean, it was awesome, but at the same time, I was like, I feel like flea markets were for older things. What are we saying when the flea market is mostly filled with He-Man toys and Star yeah. Wars figures? Yeah, and, I, I, and I, WrestleMania I think, two VHS tapes. I think the truth, John, is that we are the old things. Pat, I don't accept that. I, I think the truth is out there, and I, I agree, man. And, and I want to believe that there's something different. I understand. Yeah, but uh, do you know how old the uh, original Toy Story movie is? Pat, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I know, uh, John. So, so favorite or most unique thing that I have bought at an antique store, garage sale, flea market, swap meet type thing? You know, honestly, I don't know. As a kid, I there, I would always pick up like Star Wars toys and Ninja Turtle toys and stuff like that at a garage sale. One time, I think I was able to to score like a brand new bike that had barely been hey. used at a garage sale. I am always up for finding a garage sale where somebody is selling some comic books and they have no clue what they've got. You know, sometimes you'll you'll hit up a garage sale and they will have a, a decent selection of vinyl records. Yeah, I and even just recently we we headed over to the the Volo Antique Mall. Yes, yeah. that's over there by where the if, for those that are not from this area, there is the Volo Auto Museum, which is mm-hmm. very awesome. Um, mm-hmm. They have the antique mall over there. I did find several spots that had some items of movie interest that John was interested in. So. I did check out cool. a few things there. You know, if, if if I ever am able to score anything Star Wars or Rocketeer or anything like that, like I'm always I'm I'm always on the lookout for the future ex Mrs. Malcolm. I, I can't I can't think of anything specific. Although I was at a store not too long ago. It wasn't actually a flea market or antique store or garage sale, or anything like that, but it was a store that was selling old toys. And okay. the 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 most fun thing that I think I've seen recently is I have a photograph of myself at age three where I'm, I'm holding up three fingers in each hand to indicate it is mm-hmm. my third birthday. And right. uh, the, my birthday cake is right in front of me. And on the birthday cake are these, they're laying flat on the cake. So they're not standing up vertically. They're laying flat on the surface of the cake where these cake toppers of Darth Vader and a stormtrooper. Right. And I happened to be, and they were not action figures. So they were like specific to, they were this, this cake topper. That's exactly what they were supposed to be. And mm-hmm. I was in a, in a toy store, a vintage toy store recently. And I happened to spot those cake toppers. And I was like, that is amazing. I've never, I have not seen those since December of 1983. Um, right. You know, this it's is, been a while. Th- this is amazing. Like I, mm-hmm. this, is, this is pretty cool. Do I want to pay the, I don't remember, they were like 30 or $40. Like, do I need to pay the 30 or $40 to relive my childhood? No, but I got to see them, and that's cool. Yeah. So that's fine. It's cool that they're still floating around. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, anything specific? No, not necessarily. But if I can ever find a, a fun comic or like you mentioned, a book or something like that, mm-hmm. that's that's always fun stuff. Or a record if there's a good record somewhere. Sure, sure. Question number two: Leland Gaunt kept his shop bell hanging from the rearview mirror in his car. So, do you have anything hanging in your car in that spot? Or if no, what would you hang there? I got nothing, and I'm not I'm not big on the hanging of things yeah. in the car. But I mean, I suppose if I was doing like an old street rod or something, I go I'd have the fuzzy dice hanging. Would you? I, I kind of figured you might do the fuzzy dice. I mean, just if I had the car that. It fit with that that genre and that ilk. Yeah, I would do that. But otherwise, I'm not a big dangly thing hanging type person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I I've gone the nerdy route of that, and I do have okay. something hanging from mine. I have a little replica of Han Solo's Sabak dice that are hanging from the Millennium Falcon. Yes. Yeah, yep. that's what I have in my car. So I've got the Star Wars version of the fuzzy dice. That's awesome. In my car. That's very cool. All right. And question number three, because they feature prominently in this movie, what are your favorite kind of apples? Granny Smiths are the absolute, my absolute favorite. Those that being nice. said, I've really never met an apple I didn't like. True. And so there's some that I feel like, you got to get them where they're more fresh or they're yeah. somewhere. They're okay, or the, but it's like I never met an apple I didn't like. But, I mean, the absolute favorite got to be the Granny Smiths. Yeah. I was gonna what say, about yourself? I was going to say Red Delicious when they're when they're Ooh. fresh and they're good. I do like the Red Delicious. I get, Granny Smith is a is a close runner-up for me. The, the kid in me wants to say Granny Smith slathered in caramel. Mm-hmm. Sure. Actually, the adults diabetic in me also wants to say the same thing yeah 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 no i hear you i'll tell you another one it's like eating candy is the Honeycrisp apple oh yeah those things are great yeah well see we kind of we kind of inched our way into the 30 something food podcast but we kind of kept. we got there we kept it mostly healthy yeah apples are good you can find good stuff to dip apples in you know you can dip them in like dipped in vanilla Greek yogurt is amazing. Dipped yeah. in peanut butter. I that's my my amazing. kids have used up all the peanut butter in the house. I'm not going to spend time covering this on the podcast. I'm just going to say I apparently have failed at least one of my children because they don't know how to cut an apple without wasting about forty percent of it. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. I just it, it bothered okay. me the other day when I when I came and found an apple sitting on the kitchen counter that had been cut in such a way that. There was a lot left over that you know could have been consumed, and yeah, I, I had a problem with that and had to had to have a small discussion with the child. And I'm not right. sure if they've seen the error of their ways, but I'm just I'm right. Doing, I'm doing my part for Apple Kind. That's what you. That's what you got to do. Yeah. I'll tell you this: I had a student teacher one time that told me he'd read this article about the proper way to to eat an apple. And you don't eat around the sides. You eat it from the top down, like where the stem is coming out. You turn it and bite into that area. And if you eat it from the top down and you do it right, the only thing left over should be a little tiny bit that holds the seeds and the stem. That you get like 40 to 50% more apple by eating it that way. And I've tried it a couple times, man. I'm not kidding you. You get more apple out of it. It's it's pretty awesome. So you pull the stem out of the apple. 
Nope. You just start eating towards the stem and you kind of bite around it. Oh, okay. Eventually the stem just kind of doesn't have anything to hold on to it and it disappears but you, but or you not disappears, but it like you just throw that to the side and you keep eating down. And yeah. I think you can get towards the core uh-huh. a lot easier, just huh. the way the apple comes apart. And so all that stuff that kind of circles this core, you get to eat that. And basically if you do it right, the only thing you're left with is the little bit of this, the core in the middle, you go all the way to the bottom and done. And like, you've just increased your apple amount by 30 to 40%. So the more, I guess there it is, man. Uh, Well, I think we've learned a lot here tonight. I think we've learned Mm -hmm. that you just, you don't shop in the devil's antique store. Uh, That's be avoided. Yeah. You don't, maybe you just don't raise turkeys. Yeah. You know, and, and don't, no matter what your religion is, don't try to kill each other. I think think that's, that's a key point, especially trying to stab each other with the weather vanes from your church or, or the crosses atop the, yeah. A little excessive. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a little excessive. You know, we, we, we should probably try to have discussions that are, you know, ecumenical in nature and, and not murderous. And we've learned how to eat an apple. Yeah. That's the important one right there. That might be the most important thing we've learned tonight. So Pat, I'm glad I was here for this. John, I'm glad I was here for this. It it was a, an informative thing and a fun movie. Yeah. I mean, you, we got to give the movie some props, right? Like if it wasn't a fun movie, we wouldn't have this much discussion. We wouldn't be talking about it. So, yeah. I don't know if was, that's true or not, but I'm going with it. It's it was fine. It was a fun movie. Yeah. I mean, there were there were mm-hmm. things there were things I would have wished it had done a little differently, but you know, overall a fun movie. I, I think I think it it cinemated itself well. There was much cinemation happening. Yeah. Everybody, well, that's going to be it for this episode. If you are looking for more horror in your life, then you can check out the rest of our October episodes. So far this month, we've had Fire in the Sky, Hocus Pocus, This Week is Needful Things, Judgment Night is next week, and then Leprechaun. And then we've got our Patreon episodes are Something Wicked This Way Comes, which I mentioned at the time of this one being released should be out in a couple of days. Then the Patreon shorts are It Started in 93, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., and It Ended in 93, Cheers. And then November is Thanks for the Laughs. Our Patreon episodes will be King Kong from 1933. The Patreon shorts are It Started in 93 with The X-Files, and It Ended in 93 with Quantum Leap. Regular episodes for the month of November will be So I Married an Axe Murderer, Dazed and Confused, Wayne's World 2, Grumpy Old Men, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. Have you seen any of those, Pat? Like, are there any of those that are going to be first-time viewings for you? Um, Boy, you went through a whole list of stuff that I've seen. I mean, Grumpy Old Men came out this year. Fantastic. Men in Tights I've seen. I don't know if there's many that you mentioned that I haven't seen. Okay. You seen Dazed and Confused? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, if, yeah. you had, if you hadn't, it'd be cool if you did. It'd be cool if you did. That's why I like dating. Wow, okay. Uh-huh. All right, all right, all right. Well, we will see you all back here next night. Thank you, Pat, for being here as always. Oh, thank you, John. This was a good time. All right, everyone, we will see you back here next time. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some spooky movies, and we'll see you back here next week. 